Profile on Praise Junction. Listen. This is my story. Real people, real stories. Real God, real change. This is my story. This is Profile on the Praise Junction Show. Amen. And you're on Praise Junction at Hope FM. Listen and leave. My name is Grace Mutison. Today we're having another profile, another interesting story. And you're seeing Profile on Praise Junction Show. You're focusing on real people who have real stories and who serve a real God and had an encounter with a real God, Almighty Jehovah, who brought a real change in their life. And this beautiful morning, I have none other than a great lady, beautiful lady, with a great voice, I may say, called Nashami Wangara. Good morning, Nashami. Good morning, Grace. You're doing well? Yes, I am. Mm. Really good. Your first time at Top FM? Yes, in, on, on air. Yes. I've, I've passed by. Mm. But now, officially, I am in. Bas. Yeah. Karibu sana. Asante. For, for somebody who's hearing about Nashami Wangara for the first time, mm-hmm. so who is Nashami? Nashami Wangara is a fourth born, um, a fourth born of Mr. Wangara's family, yes. fourth born in a family of 12. Like one, two, three, like one, two, three, twelve. Okay. Uh, we call ourselves the 12 tribes of Israel. <laughs> <laughs> and I happen to be Judah. So, hey, yeah. I tell you. It, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we say, my dad is that guy. He got 11 to do an entire football team and he was already doing a substitute bench. But we thank God. And uh, Shami is born again. Yes. I love the Lord so much. Um, I've been working with him for some time, and it's the best the best life I have ever lived, yeah. me and God. And uh, Nashami is a hotelier by profession. Ah. Yes. So you work in one of these posh ones? Or? Well, let's say I used to. You used to. Yes. That's a story we'll get to. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, Nashami is um, a youth mentor. I work a lot with young people across the board from high schools to churches to institutions of learning. Just working with young people and shaping them and making them to be the best they can, they can ever be. Yes. And Nashami is an author. I have done my first book. Uh, it's called My Story for His Glory. And it's just basically that, me sharing my story to the world that they may, that mean the Lord may be glorified through yeah. it. Mm. Yeah, I think basically that's okay. Nashami. Mm. Wow. Mm. How was it growing up in such a big family? <laughs> and let me say, you, you know, you're this middle baby somehow, mm-hmm. you mm. know, somewhere middle and mm. not middle. Mm. How was it growing up? Well, I grew up among the best. My family, interestingly, um, and I think you can attest to that, our mothers, um, somehow, most of us, we were born like Doremi Fasolatido, you know? Yeah. yeah. So we were back to back, the first four, and then the, the next four, and then the next four. I think we grouped like that. Yeah. So uh, growing up amidst that family was great. Although Nashami growing up used to be a sickling. I, I, I grew up as a sickling. From as early as seven months, yeah. I I was uh, diagnosed with uh, uh, epilepsy. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with that for all my childhood, I think, until sometime later when I was in high school. Yes. Yeah. So I was a fragile baby. I didn't like it <laughs> because everyone used to be too careful around me. Yeah. And you just want to be a normal child and run all over. But... I wouldn't walk alone, for example, because who knows when the fits will come, you know. Mm. But uh, I grew up well. I was raised by a real African mother <laughs> who never used to take jokes 
my mama used to work with a kiboko 24/7 yes, it used to be part of her dress code Ayya. so anytime leta nyef nyef una chapwa <laughs> Of course, that's the best thing to handle all the 11 of you. But it was amazing. Yeah. And I, I, I was raised in the best family, and I'm still part of the best family in the entire world. Amen. Mm-hmm. Was it a Christian setup or? No. Uh, okay. Well, my family is Catholic. We were raised in a Catholic way. We were taught the ways of church, and we all grew up going to catechism classes and all that, and we grew up so. So all of us, at least my dad and Shua, we went through that. But uh, in my family of 12, actually, I think we are three of us who are born again. Yeah. Right now. Yeah, right now. Mm. So it was... um, it was an open kind of life, like, just do the right thing. No one pushes you, to, like, this is the way you need to, Baruki Leta Mchezo, you are dealt with. But generally, just do what you need to do and what is right. Okay. Mm. Then when was that turnaround time when you said, nice time to surrender my life to Christ? Hmm. That was way later. Because, you know, when I finished high school, actually, when I went to high school, yes. um, my dad, being an amazing father, like every father, some parents have taken their kids to school this week, yes. you know, like go to school, just focus on your studies, just be a good girl, just keep off boys, just concentrate. And I said, yes, dad, I'll definitely do that. Mm. And I did that for four years. Sometimes I tell high schoolers that I was in high school for four years and I didn't have a boyfriend and I was fine. And they're like, really? (laughs) Yeah. But I did that because I had that fear that if I had a relationship, I'll fail my exams. Uh, Based on, you know, and hearing your dad's voice tell you, Mm -hmm. girl. So I kept off Kabisa until I finished form four and I passed very well. Uh. But now after high school, I said, well, <laughs> we were keeping off boys because we were in school. Oh, dad had said. Now we are done with school. Well, I think it's fine. And so that was the beginning of me now trying to live my life. And I got into a relationship here and there. That is immediately after high school. I finished school on 24th of November. And oh, I think December I was dating. Oh no. Yeah, I felt like it was something it was necessary, it was needful. There was no one to tell me what I need to do and what not to do, so I was like, we're done with school. So, before we wait for those results, um we need somebody. We need a boyfriend. I remember asking my sister, "Do you have anyone recommend anyone? I need one like a ah, Yeah, that's your elder sister now you are asking. <laughs> so it let me ask you this. Yes. So you're in high school. Mm-hmm. At the, it's like at the back of your mind, you're just prepared mm-hmm. after KCSE. Mm-hmm. I'm out. Yes. Next project, mm-hmm. boyfriend. Boyfriend. So your sister recommended? Yeah, she was dating someone who knew someone that knew someone. And I said, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> Available and ready. And bingo, I got in. I, I, was, I was 18, yep. Wow. And at the age of 18... The polite, humble girl just became the most rebellious girl my father, my father ever had. I just became rebellious because everything this guy will tell me will be a yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, no. How and old was this guy? And you were 18. How old was He was guy? around 22, 23. Yeah. And he didn't see that as an issue? No. He, he, he said he loved me. And I was like, let's do this. <sighs> it's, ne- it's necessary. I'm of age. I need to have somebody. And... There I was with somebody. Okay. And so the rebellion started at that point, where at times I would just sneak out of my father's house at night and come back the next day. 
not once, not twice. Where was mom with her kibuka at that time? Mom should have done something. <laughs> now, at that point, um, my, my, my family, uh, my dad has two wives. So at some point, I was staying with my second mom. And so she was watching me do this. And one day, I think she just got tired. My dad wasn't home and she told me, listen to me, young girl. You need to make a choice. It's either you are a daughter or you are somebody's wife. This habit of being a daughter during the day and a wife during the night can't work in my house. You better choose. Well, you don't tell that to a teenager who is quote-unquote in love. Oh. I left home and I went to that That's guy's house. That's the choice you made. I made that choice. I said, thank you, mama, for giving me options. I choose to go and I went to that guy's house. I stayed there for two weeks and my dad came back. <laughs> Mr. Wangara said, tell that girl to come back home or I'll come for her. Yeah. Well, I came back home. So after two weeks, I was done. <laughs> and I, I came still, back home. still 18. I was still 18, yes. And rebellion went on and went on. And I remember at some point I was, we were staying, my dad used to work in Mumia's sugar company. So at some point he took me to stay in the village, yeah. kind of exile, go away. You're messing your life up here. It did help because me and this guy will just arrange our deeds. Those oh, days no. there were no motorbikes, mm. but he had one. He would oh. come all the way for me. So he was like the richest guy in the village with a motorbike. He comes <laughs> for me and we go for a whole week. When dad oh. comes over the weekend in the village, I am back home. So he's like, yeah, this exile thing is working. This girl is here. He was wrong. Yeah. So that was me at 18 into 19. Well, at some point that relationship ended. What happened for it to end? Um, I was in love. I thought this was it. This was the future. At that age, I was okay. Being called that guy's wife by people, I was like, it's okay. Until the next time I find him with someone else and he's not sorry. And he's, I'm hearing of this other person and I'm so disappointed in him. And I just walked out and I said, you know what? I don't want a relationship again. I don't want a man again. Men cannot be trusted. Mm. They will just mess your heart up. And that's how I shut down on men okay. at that point. Yes. But I didn't shut down on men in the sense that I can't have a man. I shut down on men that I can't have a relationship that is headed anywhere. I felt, uh-uh. No stacking. No commitment. No commitment. And that just opened me to another struggle. Because... Mm-hmm. So that's at, nine, at, at, nine, at around 20, at 19, 20, 20 now. Yes. So what happened in that season where you say, I, I, it's not that I can't have a man, mm-hmm. but I just don't want a man I can commit to because this first one has failed. Well, I was there. Literally, I was, I was looking for a sexual relationship, not a... Not anything minus that. That's all I wanted. Because you had experienced it in mm-hmm. the previous mm-hmm. So you just needed that, that satisfaction. Yes. And there I was here and I was there. I would be with this guy. I feel like, no, this one kind of is not found when I need him. So I find another and another. At some point, I could have at least three contacts. Just in mm. case I need anyone, I have someone to call. And going through that with a sexual lifestyle, and that is how one of them introduced me even to alcoholism. Because I was like, is there anything that I need to do to take care of this life? What is there to take care of? Just leave it the way it comes. I didn't care, and I was fine. And I got into alcoholism, and it started one by one, pole pole, little by little. I remember that guy, I'll never forget one day he told me, I taught you alcohol. You're teaching me alcohol now? 
because the tables were, reser- yeah. were re- reversed. Yes. I became the teacher. I will tell him there is this particular one. We need to try it out. And there is this one. If you mix with this one, I became the teacher. At this point, Nashami, you're still a child in your mother's eyes. You know, you're still a child. You're supposed to be in college or thinking of your life because you're growing. Mm-hmm. Where were your parents when all this was happening? You know, your mothers, Mm -hmm. dad, or your elder sisters, or brothers, were they seeing anything wrong with you? Well, um, for starters, I took some time before I went to college after high school. Okay. Some serious time. Okay. And in the midst of that, that is one thing, according to me, I felt, why didn't I, why did I just finish high school, pass well, and then go to college immediately? Why isn't dad taking me? Yeah. And I took that against him. I was like, who cares? They don't even want to take me to college. Oh. And we never used to address it with him. But I used to feel like they don't care. You are bitter. I was bitter. And then for my siblings, um, most of these things, like the alcoholism part, when I am in my father's house, I was the most sober creature ever. If anyone would come home and tell Mr. Wangara, this girl was found drinking summer, he'll tell them a big no. Because I would find a way, I would lie that I'm going to visit so-and-so for a weekend so that I'd be away and do my drinking spree and come back sober. So I never got into that house, drunk or anything, never. And that was me. And at some point, feeling that they don't love me, they don't want to plan for my future. I remember one day I, I almost got married to a Muslim an amazing man, an amazing family that showed me love. Yeah. They did. Oh, they did. They showed me love. I felt I belonged there. And so when they, actually it's the parents who suggested. And then I asked the guy, what do you think? And he was like, I've been thinking about it. I just didn't know how to tell you. And I'm like, let's do this. So it's you who said... Yeah, let's do this. And I was willing. I didn't care. I was mm. told you need to be a Muslim. I said, it's okay. Do what you need to do. They even had a name already for me. Ah. I was to be called Zuena. And I was ready. I said, ah, bingo, let's do this. In the Wangaras, they don't care for me. Let me get married to this. Mm. I don't give a damn. But I am glad how God came in that particular situation. Tell me, how did God intervene in that one? I leave their place. I go back home. I need to tell my people that I'm getting married to a Muslim. <laughs> and I didn't know how because irrespective, I knew Mr. Wangara wouldn't have accepted. Yeah. So while I'm dilly-dallying with that, I get info that back there, this guy had some kagal and got this girl pregnant and he had to marry her. That's how God intervened. Yeah. And that's how I never got married to that guy. But at this point, you're still having your lifestyle of here this and there, guy, this guy, guy, this, guy, this, guy, this drink, this alcoholism and everything. Now, in the midst of all this, men here and there, alcohol here and there, at some point, I got pregnant. With one of the men. Yeah, one of the men. That guy, somehow he had tried to be too serious. I thought, maybe we can think about this commitment thing again. So I committed myself to him as much as I was trying to cut off these others. And bingo, I got pregnant and... I had to go home because I wasn't married to him. I told him, you know what, Mr. Man, I can't go to Mr. Wangara's house with this pregnancy. He will kill me. So me, I'm getting rid of this one. 
He told me, you won't, you will not do such a thing. Yeah. I, we will keep this baby because I am marrying you. And I'm thinking, oh, no, Nashami, why did you get pregnant? Now you have to become a wife. Yeah. Oh, I said, okay, fine. Let's just do this because Mr. Wangara shouldn't find me single pregnant. Unfortunately yeah. <clears throat> mm. for me, just before, because they wanted to come home officially and just pass word and then we go. Before that happened, that is when I come to the realization that I had been dating a married man. Oh, because the wife was, they had parted ways. And then when she came back, he told her, go stay in the village. Oh. So me, I'm here, I'm thinking, I'm calling the shots. There was a woman in the village, a wife. And I'm realizing that when I'm pregnant, I told him, you know what? Let me, I would rather deal with Mr. Wangara, yeah. but I can't be wife number two. That one was so clear in my head. It was so clear in my head. So I had to go home. It was not an easy thing. I wasn't welcomed with clappings and joy. How did you break the news <laughs> to your dad and mom that, Dad, mom, he's your daughter and <laughs> I'm expectant with a child and I'm not married? Mm. At least I didn't have to tell them. Yeah. You know, mothers, our mothers oh. are doctors, they're gynecologists, they're pediatricians, they're everything. Yeah. Mom noted something and she called me and told me, how old is it? <laughs> Just like that. Well, that's how she knew. And of course, she told dad and everyone wasn't excited and happy about it. The reaction was bad. No one welcomed it. It was not a celebration. I felt so out of place. I was not welcome with that pregnancy and I am not married. Okay. But I didn't have an option. I just had to stay there and carry mm -hmm. my pregnancy. Yeah. It wasn't an easy one because I will never forget, Grace, that time I was broke. Broke, like very broke. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't working, nothing, no source of income. This time you're how old? I was 23. Okay. And, and I'm there and there's a baby coming. I have nothing. All I know is that I have me and a pregnancy. The guy, when I refused to be second wife, he just shut down on me. He disappeared. Were you still doing alcohol at this point? Well, I, I stopped at that point because I didn't have the money. Okay. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> so here I am, I'm alone with a pregnancy and I remember telling my baby, I held my tummy and told my baby, baby, it's me and you against the world. We have no one with us. So let's please just be there for me. I'll be there for you and let's do this. But unfortunately, at the sixth month of the pregnancy, I lost it. Oh, what yeah. happened? Um, all along. I always thought, I, I tried to remember what the doctors told me. I never added up. I was like, I don't know, they said what and what. Until sometime last year, actually, I was, I think, watching something on telly. And there was a discussion about the people that give birth to kids that maybe have a deformation or stuff and everything. Oh. And listening through, I said, I think today I understand why I lost my baby. Yes. I used to date, the, the, I used to date, actually, the, when I was pregnant, one of the guys I dated used to be such a smoker. So when I got pregnant, for some strange reason, I had a craving for that smoke. Oh. I wasn't a smoker, but I really wanted to just to hear that smoke. Mm. And I remember there's this cousin of mine who was a smoker. I would buy him cigars and tell him, come sit here next to me. You, you just smoke your thing. I need to hear it. I oh. think I smoked too much. Yeah. That costed my baby. So you lose <laughs> the baby, Nashami, before you go on a break and just come back. Yes. You break the news to mom. Yes, I had this baby, but now the baby's gone. So what happened during that season? Actually, uh -huh. 
Actually, I, I lost the baby in hospital. I had been admitted for some time, for almost a week or so. So when I lost the baby, actually, my mom and my bro came, took the baby. They took her home. And I remember I named her beautiful name, Zanel. Oh. And then they brought her home and they buried her. Then so I came you back. saw her? Yes, I did. She, actually, I, I gave birth, literally. Yeah. I went through labor and gave birth to a baby. I held her in my arms. Because I'm the first one who received her, yeah. held her in my hands. I had her beat, her heart beat three times only. And then she died. Oh. Yeah. So I come back home. The burial has been done and I have to go through that. And, and here I am. I, I'm definitely I'm a lactating mother, you yes. know, and all that. It was crazy. It was tough. And everybody will tell me, thank God you are not even ready to be a mother. Thank God. God knew. So forget and move on. And what they didn't know, they denied me a chance to mourn my baby. Yeah. Because I just couldn't mourn my baby. It was a silent mourning. And that silent mourning actually took me deeper into my addictions. Oh, you've lost the baby. Yes. And you are not given that opportunity to literally mourn your baby girl. Mm-hmm. And you say that silent morning messed up your life. Yes, it did. Talk to me. Well, um, I, needed, I needed to move on. I needed to accept the reality. I, I needed that closure. I needed all that, but I was denied. I remember the first days I would, uh, where the baby was buried, I would get there when no one is seeing and just go and sit there. I just sit there. At that point, I am like, I wish she was here, you know, and everything. Oh, yeah. And someone will somehow find me and take me from there. I would hide. Sometimes I come from uh, sugar, sugar growings or yes. sugar cane. Mm. Sometimes I would literally go katikati ashamba ya miwa and just yes, and just sit there and cry and cry and cry, then come out because. I was like, I need to do this alone now that it's like, I'm supposed to thank God and move on and forget. Well, that wasn't really helping much. And at that point, I remember I was like, I think I know what I need to get back to. I think I need to get out there and get some alcohol. I just, I need, I need something to help me forget this. And so I started going out back again. And remember, I wasn't working. Yeah. But that wasn't an issue. Finding alcohol is not an issue. You don't need to be working to, dr- to get drunk. You just need to know who is who that can buy which and which and you oh, get back. Yeah. And so I got back into alcoholism again. And I remember at that point, I'd just come to Nairobi to stay with a cousin of mine. And this is me trying to move on. Yeah. And this is me getting back into stuff. And then I just got in the wrong company ever. Because the people I connected with were guys that were taking everything and anything under the face of the earth. Oh. And I thought, now this is the kind of people I need. And I held them close to me. The amount of alcohol I took, Grace, man, I always say if at that point they had tried to do a blood uh, sampling, blood, my blood and alcohol levels, I think the alcohol levels were higher than my blood. Mm. I literally took alcohol every day. So so looking back, mm. you know, and, and, and you're saying you, you literally took alcohol every day. Mm. What would you say really pushed you to do that? You know, in, in those volumes of consuming alcohol. I think just by the virtue that uh, when I was going through a tough time, no one was there to soberly walk me with me. 
then whatsoever came my way became my friend, became my companion, because I really needed to get over this. I needed to heal and go through this and just become better. Okay. But now I didn't find the right uh, people or the right company. That which came my way, I mean, I just went head on. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't just do alcohol. I did alcohol. I At that point, I even tried smoking. I didn't like it. Mm. I choked. I was like, man, this is bad. Mm-mm. Yeah. I remember at some point we were having some bash with some friends and everything was being smoked in there. You didn't need to smoke bang. You were there, you are already in it. Yeah. But I remember taking a roll and trying. I think my system was rejecting things so I didn't, I thank God. Yeah. I didn't like bang either. At some point I even tried to take some, uh, I, of course I sniffed cocaine I think once or twice. I just wanted to try everything yeah. because I'm like, what is there for us today? Bring it on. Mm. Haven't I tried that? Is that, is that Mogoka, Mira? Bring it on. I tried everything. At some point, I even took a syringe with some con- some stuff, and somebody told me, "When you take this one, be somewhere cool, Juneza Dunda Vibai." I remember I I I injected myself while I was in bed, and I slept. So I remember when I was sober, I told them, "I don't like this thing. Mm. I love how alcohol does it for me. Pole oh. pole, you switch off. This instant, I don't like." And that's how I never continued that. But I was trying everything bad that could be tried, and I didn't care. Was th- were you finding um? Was your pain being numbed by that? Yes and no. <laughs> to some degree, I would forget that I was, I ever carried a baby. I never lost, ever lost a baby at some point. <laughs> but the reality was always there with me. Because I remember that point, I would see a lady heavy with child, oh. I would sleep back. Oh. I would see someone have a small baby, I would sleep back. Always. So it was an on and off kind of relief. At some point I was fine. Like, yeah, let's do life. This is me today. But again, at some point you're like, Zanel is not here. So it really never took that away. And God is my witness. I think I mourned Zanel for, even when I got born again, for quite some time before, which I'll definitely talk about later. But it took a while before I got over that, like the pain and everything. It doesn't end pop you don't okay. lose and you forget mm. so here i was just doing stuff to kind of give me a temporary numbness and forget mm. but it used to come back always yeah okay did <laughs> baba zanel in quotes ever show up to say okay we, we, we truly at some point where you're expecting my child I, i'm just here to find how my child is mm-hmm. mm. um i remember i lost zanel in 20 2003 december and I bumped into this man in 2006. Yeah, that's the next time I saw him. And I remember, you know those times you think you have healed and forgotten and forgiven? Yeah. Because during that season I got born again. And that is one of the things I had to deal with. Yeah. And then you meet this person and you realize you never forgive anyone. Yeah. I almost hit him with a big log. I was oh. mad when I saw him. Yeah. And he wanted to see me. And he said oh i want us to talk i want us to talk about the baby how is the baby and i told him yeah we need to talk i think that was the time i got my closure with him because i had to put everything on the table and bring my pain on the table to him and just pour everything and i said fine i forgive you i can't carry this it's not helping me anyway Mm -hmm. but that was now that was three years later after losing Mm -hmm. zanel okay yeah wow when we come back um 
we'll be getting to hear how God transformed Nashami's life to be this great servant of God going out and mentoring young people who are having struggles and one of the big struggles mm-hmm. you know that you are having is the addiction of masturbation mm-hmm. would want to know how God rescued you how God literally saved you and you began a re- uh, to have a relationship with the Lord and being a born again Christian we'll also be taking time to sample your SMSs on 20933 and remember to talk to us it's all about profile where we have real people telling us real stories of a real God who changes the lives of people keep it right here hope fm the station where you listen and live this is profile real people real stories real God real change